Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zockey. And welcome to another edition of the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Make sure to check out greatlakesdragway.com to get your 2019 season pass. And uh, make sure you check out their schedule, all the big events that are happening at Great Lakes Dragway. Lots to do there, lots of food. It's just a fun place to hang out. And also like to fr- thank our friends at David Hobbs Honda, 6100 North Green Bay Avenue. Make sure to check out davidhobbs.com for all the latest in new and used cars. They have, of course, all the best in Honda, but also a wide variety of used cars that may uh, fit what you're looking for. And I'm Steve Zotke, along with Mayor Mitch in the house. Yes, sir. Back again. And uh, for the second week in a row, as uh, Jeff Orlowski is out in Arizona, we'll, we'll, we'll actually be chatting with Jeff, the Polish pipe bomb, in the second hour, towards the end of the second hour, Get uh, make sure that he's not incarcerated. Yeah. And uh, just make sure everything's okay. I know when him. I was here yesterday, Tim wasn't successful in getting a hold of him during a break. I know that because they were kind of... Out there together. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they were flying back together today, but uh, yeah, he was. He couldn't get a hold of them, so we'll see. Uh, no, hopefully, we can. We're we're exactly in the country. Where in the world is Jeff Orlowski? So that should be an interesting conversation with him. We'll also be talking with Dennis Michelson from D Mike Media coming up here in the next uh, few minutes after this segment, uh, talking about what's been going on in the world of NASCAR and racing in general. And uh, unfortunately, uh, NASCAR once again kind of kind of kicked itself uh, yesterday in Fontana. Uh, we had an incident in qualifying, uh, unusual. Um, never I'm, that I can recall seeing a situation like that before. We'll expand on that in the next segment, and uh, we'll also be talking with, uh, of course, David Hobbs. Uh, Formula One starts uh, tonight in Australia. The opening round of the Australian Grand Prix. Looking forward to talking some Formula One with uh, David Hobbs. So is it like Monday in Australia already? No, it would be Sunday. Okay. So I believe it is It's. I think Australia is like 18 hours ahead of us. What's nice about Australia is that you can, if if you're a night owl on the weekend like I am, it's not too bad. Uh, I think it starts around midnight or so, so it's not too bad. And it's like noon there, or noon or something. Or yeah, night, is, is no, I think it would there? have to be. It would have to be afternoon. Yeah, late afternoon, probably, maybe four o'clock. Yeah, it's it's confusing. It's it's it, almost to the dateline. I know that. I, I all I know is that we're I think we're eight hours behind uh, England. Yeah, seven, eight, something like that. Mm-hmm. So that one's easy if you're a soccer fan. Mm-hmm. You kind of know about seven a.m. here. Oh, yeah, is usually. True. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. About eight hours, right? It's yeah. probably three o'clock in the afternoon there if it's seven here. So 
and we'll also be talking. In fact, most of the most of my crew uh, yesterday was in Sebring, Florida. Of course, we have the twelve hours of Sebring uh, happening uh, today in Florida, and uh, our, our own uh, David Hobbs is down there signing some books and uh, just schmoozing with some mm-hmm. of the people down there. And also uh, David Land, who'll be joining us at the end of the first hour from Sebring, was also in Sebring. And well, is is also with uh, Eddie Lapine from mm-hmm. RacingNation.com, who we'll also have in the second hour. Well, that's right in his backyard, right? It, pretty much so. It's it's about a what is it, hour and a half drive from Orlando. Sebring, if you draw a line, it's pretty much straight south from uh, Orlando, mm-hmm. and it's north of Miami. Yep, it's in the it's in the fun part of Florida. Yeah, uh, I'd like to call it the armpit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, it. The story of Sebring, for those who don't know, it was a World War II training bomber base. So they had this huge, huge tarmac cement and everything. And after the war, there was no need for it. So uh, they stored planes there. And then uh, they, about 1950, I believe, they saw all this cement that wasn't being used. Hey, let's put up a racetrack. So they started racing uh, cars there, and they've been racing there ever since. And there's a few... Older, uh, there's a few old hangers still left, and when I was there a couple of years ago, I, I, I asked one of the older gentlemen, what's the oldest building? There's still one, it's like a house. It's like a ra- small ranch house that is uh, adjacent to the starting line in the infield that was built, I believe, in the early 60s, and during the 60s, the race officials, I guess, used it kind of like a base of operation, and it's now used during this, uh, for 12 hours of Sebring is kind of like where the Florida State Police kind of hang out. It's like their base camp. Keep a watchful eye. Yeah. So. Now, Florida's known for some shenanigans, that's for there sure. There is a double. house at, on Great Lakes Dragway uh, that uh, Broadway Bob lived in. Uh, it was built in the 60s and th- thankfully still has all the beautiful avocado green in there. It's like stepping into a time machine. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Broadway had hadn't lived in there in years, but so it was it was a nice place. At least it's air conditioned. A guy who is a historian like you must really it, enjoy it, it. It's like it's like dressed. It's like uh, decorated Brady Bunch uh, light. You know, I it's mean, like it's like going just, to your grandma's house oh, when you're little. Fantastic. It's just it's like stepping back into time. Yep. So a lot of fun there. So it's we got a full full show. So. Looking forward to it, and then plus we got basketball going on pretty much twenty four seven. It seems. Yeah, like. if you're a, if you're a hoop head like myself, this is um, about as ideal as it gets. You've got local high school basketball going on at state. Our, our own Mike McGivern and his team, Greendale Martin Luther, over in state. That game comes up at two thirty today. So after the final inspection show here, you can have plenty of time to catch that. And then uh, you got college basketball as well. The Badgers coming on. Uh, right about now, they should be getting underway against Michigan State. And heartbreak last night for Marquette. Marquette, yeah, that was so uh, close. I mean, that a lot of people are upset though. about that. You know, it was scrappy though. Oh, I mean, it, it was, was. It was one of those where I think the refs felt the need to keep it under yeah. control with a foul every time down, otherwise, right. something bad might happen. And you saw a couple ejections. I mean, it's yeah. and 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 Wojo was livid after the game, and uh, he wouldn't shake Miles Powell's and, hand. And last night we had a double ejection in the in the Clipper game, the Clipper really? Bulls game. Both both head coaches. Oh, I saw that. That's right. Third double quarter. ejection. 
both of you. Yep. Out of here. <laughs> that Jim Boylan, uh, he's uh, he's animated, and I'm sure uh, Doc, he probably said something Doc didn't like, and that uh, that was it. Doc probably heard about Marquette losing, and he was already in a, in yeah, a bad he was, mood. he was upset, no question. But the Bucks, hey, getting it done. You know, you would tune into the Bucks game, they'd be down by 20, and you'd go, eh, they're just not bringing it today. Yeah. Turn the channel. Well, thankfully, I have uh, two TVs, so you can just maybe go, huh, eh, let's put them on TV, two yeah, we'll, for a we'll while. Put this, we'll put them on we'll the small do one. Some, uh, we'll do some surfing and uh, see what's going on here and see what other games are on whatnot, and then you kind of keep one eye on it, and then you look down, and it's like, oh, my God, they're only down by four. What's yeah, going on? I but mean, back to TV one. I think the Heat came out. They The game meant more to them, I think. The Heat are battling for the eighth seed, trying to get in the playoffs, Dwayne Wade's last season, et cetera. You know, they couldn't miss in the first quarter. Bucks couldn't make in the first quarter. And it was just a situation where the Bucks, whatever happened at halftime, it worked because defensively they were amazing. And they, you know, as I said in my update, the only team in NBA history to be down by 20 at half, the lead actually got to as many as 23, and then they won by 15. It was they just- were up by 19 or something, I think. I mean, it was just... An absolute whirlwind. I mean, you, you talk about sport cliches, and there's one, I think, that's just so apt in that fourth fourth quarter, or third quarter, too, uh, and that was, you know, foot on the neck, because, I mean, that's what they did. I mean, it was just... Well, it went it, from Miami getting whatever they wanted in the first half right. to the Bucks just absolutely getting into guys and shutting them down completely. And 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 saying, hey, we're the Bucks, we're the one seed here. And Coach Bud also saying, "Keep shooting." Yeah. Oh yeah. Keep shooting. Don't 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 shy away. And 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 we we definitely saw that. They only I think what made two three pointers in the first half, and I think it was game, one. Was finished it one? with like twelve yeah. or something? Right. So and, they, and, they, and then the shots started to fall, <laughs> and they just they just took over the and game. And conversely, Miami had I still haven't looked, but they had six or seven threes in the first quarter, and finished with eight. Is impressive. Tale of two halves. Yep, definitely. So I tell you what, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk to Dennis Michelson from D Mike Media and uh, we'll find out what happened. What just what actually did happen in Fontana yesterday in the world of NASCAR. You're listening to Final Inspection Show, brought to you by Legendary Great Lakes Strayway and David Hobbs Honda. Final inspection. Final inspection. Now Dennis Michelson of D-Mike Media is here to give us the inside track on NASCAR and the world of short track racing. Hey, welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zotkin joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. It is Dennis Michelson. Dennis, welcome to the show, sir. Mr. Z-Man, uh, I got to tell you, I was listening to you guys talking about basketball. Did you know that the uh, Chicago Bulls, this will show you the difference between the Bulls and the Bucks, as far as which way both teams are going, you know the the Bulls are the only team to be down twenty at halftime this year and lose the game by more than fifty points in the history of the NBA. Uh, so that's that. You know, unlike your Bucks, who came back, uh, the Bulls just keep getting worse. Was that the Boston that's game funny. earlier this year? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And they they they've. Um, I think they're going to try to set the the record for most games to get blown out by more than 25 in a in a year. They're, I think they got a chance. I really think this is the year that they can get it done. And if not, I think next year they'll probably be uh, equally as pathetic. So, but anyway, that's enough for basketball. 
Uh, Dennis, well, I guess, why, why don't I just read this quote here? Um, this is just... Uh, uh, NASCAR will have... This is from Racer.com. Uh, NASCAR will have to look at something different in the queue uh, by the time the Monster Energy Cup uh, Series drivers show up to qualify at Texas Speedway in two weeks. After all 12 drivers advancing to the third and final round of qualifying at Auto Club Speedway on Friday failed to post even a single qualifying lap. Scott Miller, NASCAR Senior Vice President of Competition, suggested tweaks would have to be made. Ultimately, uh, the top 12 for Sunday's Auto Club 400 were determined uh, were determined based on second-round speeds, giving RCR's Austin Dillon the poll. Obviously, our fans don't want to see that. Miller said, blah, 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 blah. And uh, where's my quote here? Um, I think, yeah. Uh, Clint Boyer summed it up. We got booed. It's disappointing for yeah. everybody involved. I don't know. I saw this coming for three. I saw this coming three weeks ago. We, uh, I think we all did. Unfortunately, we're going to have to have to start being a reactive instead of proactive. I totally agree with that because I, I have seen this too. Uh, leading up to this, where these guys were just, it was get, seemed seemed to be getting worse every week. Where guys were just sitting around, nothing would happen, and then right at the end, everybody would qualify, and I'm just like. Shaking my head, I said, "Just it just doesn't look right, does it, Dennis?" No, it was rather boring. I mean, they switched from single car qualifying. Here, here's NASCAR's logic: they switched from single car qualifying to this group qualifying in order to make qualifying more of a show, more excitement. And what we've seen is a group of cars in the second and third rounds of qualifying just sitting on pit lane. For four or five minutes and not moving. And in the case of yesterday, they were not only not moving, but they were blocking each other. So mm-hmm. nobody outside of the first three could have tried to get out there regardless. So there's two simple things that NASCAR needs to do to change this. There's a couple of different ways. One is the way I would suggest, which is keep the timing the same. But as soon as the cars make a move out of their pit box, they have to keep moving to the end of pit road and keep going. They cannot stop. I'd even set like a minimum speed that they cannot go under. You know, once they get mm-hmm. get going, they, they can't go, you know, just pokey all the way. they got to clear pit lane. Once they commit to going, they can leave. But how about this? You know, one of the reasons that these guys are not doing anything is because they don't want to ruin their tires. They want to be the first one out. They want to be in a drafting pack. Why not give them a chance one time between in, in rounds two or three to run a lap, come back in and change tires. Now you give them the option of having that set of tires that they can change, but they can only change it if they put a lap in. So they go out and they run a lap. They see if they like their time. If they don't think that their time is going to be competitive, then they can come in and at the last minute change tires, put your car back out there for one more run, and see if you can move up to the next level. That'll be chaos. It'll be crazy, but it'll at least be a show. Either that or go back to single car qualifying for the second and third rounds after that, that you know group qualifying for the first, or maybe even simpler, lower the time limit to like a minute. So they have to immediately get out of pit lane and go. You give these guys this, you know, these are the high-tech NASCAR days where everybody's got a way to 
figure out exactly how long it takes to get anywhere, and they all were late getting to the line. It was hilarious, and they deserved to be booed. I, you know, personally, I, it was me. I would have made them start from the back. Just, just, uh, just use the ERR, the ERRI, uh, except in rare instances, rule that NASCAR can always fall back on. Where uh, you know, I would, you know, those twelve, you know, those twelve guys, you know, they're starting, you know, in the back from, you know, whatever, twenty twenty eighth or whatever, and fill fill the back of the field. You know, I just it was ridiculous. It was it was conduct detrimental to the sport, if I've ever seen it. That's actually a great rule change. That's a simpler thing. If you don't get a lap in, you start in the back. Yeah. You know, I just, I love it. I, I think that would be the simplest way to do it. But, you know, everything that NASCAR tries to do, then the teams try to get the maximum out of it, and they change it anyway. So maybe what you need to do is just change the qualifying rules each day so they can't figure, or, you know, each week so they can't figure it out. Spin the wheel. I bet you Eddie Gossage would love to do that in Texas. Eddie Gossage, I'm sure, was on the phone to Daytona sometime yesterday saying, you better not pull this at my track. Because Eddie will not put up with that, and he will go to the public, and he will say, this stuff has to stop. Because he does not pull any punches. Yeah, if I was the promoter of that racetrack yesterday... I would have made a public address announcement to show up with your ticket, you know, stub from qualifying, show up at the, uh, at the ticket booth, and we're giving you a refund. I would have made that public announcement. That would have made so much press because they put on an embarrassing show. That was a ridiculous thing. And, you know, all 30 people in the crowd were right. booing. Yeah, so it was- exactly. And those are the hardcore fans, too. I mean, those aren't the casual yeah. fans that were there. Those are the guys who were planning for weeks. I'm going to Auto Club, uh, you know, Speedway. I'm a hardcore NASCAR fan. So it's not like you were just, you know, you 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 PO'd some guys who got some corporate tickets who where they work and and you know don't watch it. I mean, these are the guys that watch NASCAR week in and week out on TV. That that, that is you do you know they have done the. One of the main reasons why NASCAR is having the issues it's having now is they have not been able to solidify their core audience. And this yesterday did a lot of damage. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, I've been to events as fan, you know, where you're sitting there, you know, camped out uh, at like Bristol Motor Speedway. You know, Bristol used to get 158,000 people to the race on Saturday night for the, the night race. But Friday morning, as soon as the, the cars started making noise, you're right. There were probably about 10,000 hardcores that were there already when that first, they were already sitting in the stands when that first car hit the track. Those are the people you need to take care of. Exactly. Those people that were there for qualifying, those are the junkies, man. These are the people that, if it's got NASCAR on it, they're buying it. If it if NASCAR, you know, if this product is sponsoring a NASCAR vehicle, they're buying it. You know, I don't I don't care if I, I don't need depends yet. If it's on if it's on somebody's car, I'm buying it. You know. That's that's kind of the, the way it is. I mean they're you know, they're gonna go buy a, a Learjet if if they could afford it because that's on a on a car. I mean, those are the hardcore people that they really did tick off. And I was glad to see here's 
Here's the one big improvement I've seen in the in the very short post Brian France era. Ever since Brian France left the scene, you know, in a squad car, um, there has been this real push by everybody in NASCAR to immediately address when there's been either a dog of a show a few weeks ago uh, at Las Vegas when the show didn't live up to all the hype. Uh, Steve O'Donnell was right out there in front of it. He didn't wait until Monday to, to see the which way the flags were blowing with the fans' you know, mm-hmm. comments. He got right out ahead of it. And yesterday, they got right out of ahead of it. We're not going to let this happen again. I love the fact that NASCAR is not being shy. For, for years, what you would have heard from Brian France if you could find him, you know, in the bar, and put a microphone in front of his face after something like this. First of all, he'd be shocked that, that it happened because he didn't see it because he too busy drinking. But the other thing is, he would have he would have said, well, you know, our guys are the best and the best us, and, you know, that's says, uh, you know, he would have made excuses. They didn't sure. make excuses. They took it on, head on, and that, I think, is a real good sign. As an old school fan who is one of those guys that kind of wonders whether NASCAR cares about my money anymore, as an old school fan of this sport, I see that reaction and I'm going, that guy's listening. I'm going to give him a second chance. If you want to know who the infamous 12 are, uh, of course, it was Austin Dillon who uh, timed quickest in the second round. Uh, we have Kevin Harvick, Eric Amarola, Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Newman, uh, Chase Elliott, Clint Boyer, Ryan Blaney, uh, Jimmy Johnson, who I think was quickest in the first uh, practice, and uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., uh, yeah, very, very frustrating uh, for the fans. You know, I, I didn't mind, especially the the one place I do, I guess because I'm, I'm a nerd or whatever you want to call me, uh, is Daytona when they do the single car qualifying there because it's kind of nice you get to see the car. You know, you see, you see one car in the track, and, and the last couple of years they've actually moved it along a, a bit quicker now, and it's a chance for the, 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 the TV team to kind of discuss, okay, you know, here's a Ricky Stenhouse and the 17 car. Uh, these are the changes they made to the car with some of the crew, new sponsor this year, this way he did last year, and blah, blah, blah. You kind of talk up the driver and everything. You kind of kind of set yourself for the year. Okay, this is what I can expect from the 17 car. Or, you know, like like with the uh, the 6 car with Ryan Newman, you know, hey, it's, it, this isn't Mark Martin in the Viagra car. This, you know, this is uh, Ryan Newman now driving for uh, Roush Fenway. So, you know, the single car qualifying does have its uh, advantages some way, especially if you're, if you're sponsoring a car. It's a good way to get some TV time because, let's face it, some of these cars – uh, this weekend are not going to get any TV time. Yeah, and I was talking to uh, one of the the PR managers for a, one of the smaller teams in Cup. I won't mention the name because they wouldn't be too happy about it. But they're a little bit upset with the TV exposure that they're getting right now for their sponsors because they are not running up at the front of the pack. And NASCAR's TV partners no longer mention the the. Uh, uh, the sponsors, and they rarely even mention the driver that's in this car because he's changing drivers, you know, mm-hmm. whoever's got the money to, to get in the ride. And they're a little bit frustrated. They have said that they even try to go out early in qualifying, in the grip qualifying, just so they'll get a little TV time. 
and they're even being ignored by the television partners when they pop out early. You know, so you're right. When you're single car qualifying, you know, most of the field at least gets one look in front of the TV cameras, and that's that's kind of important right now, especially in this day and age where, you know, sponsors are seeing less value, uh, less ROI, return on investment than they used to see, say, 10 years ago. I thought it was interesting that Kurt Busch did that exact same thing yesterday during second-round qualifying, and he got a lot of uh, screen time for Monster, incidentally, who is this series sponsor. So I thought that was kind of an interesting situation with him, you know, taking that early. You know, he got all the he was getting all the TV time because he was the only guy in the track. Yeah, and if you're in that situation where you kind of figure you might be bumped anyway, why not do it? Sure. Why not get your get a little more exposure? But could you imagine if you were allowed one tire change? that would give you that opportunity in the second and third rounds to, to make a strategy play and would be encouraging people to go out early. So, you know, I don't know. It, they got to do something about qualifying. It's turned into a, a bit of a joke. But, um, you know, who, who comes to see qualifying anyway? Maybe you just do a pill draw and, and just start them in some random order from now on. Maybe that's a, that's a better way to do it. Just jazz up the field a little bit. Especially maybe in the Xfinity race when Kyle Busch is racing, and then just make sure he gets the bad pill. So you <laughs> at least have to see him race up from the back. We will be talking about that in the next segment here. We're talking with uh, Dennis Michelson from D Mike Radio, D Mike Media on the uh, Midwest Bank Hotline. And uh, I wanted to mention that my wife, Susan, is actually not down by you, not all the way down uh, in, in a secret location in central Illinois. But she's actually in Hinsdale, Illinois, which is on the south side of Chicago, at the 41st Annual Ferrari Literature Art and Model Expo. That's being held at Continental Auto Sports. You might be familiar with them. That's a Ferrari dealer in Hinsdale, Illinois. Hinsdale's a nice nice town, man. That's that's upscale. You sure she's going to come home? I hope so. I hope so. And, of course, uh, uh, any, any people that know me personally know that I have lots of I have a large collection, and I'm selling some pieces from others, others people's collection, including uh, someone we're going to talk to in the second hour. That's David Hobbs. So if you're in the Chicago area, make sure you check that out. They're going to be down there till about 3 o'clock, I believe. And uh, it, it'll be a lot of things. I can tell you right now, there will be a lot of items at that uh, at the Ferrari show that you're not going to see otherwise. It's not just Ferrari stuff, but it's uh, stuff across the spectrum. But, you know, mainly, mainly, you know, Formula One, road racing, and IndyCar, and there is some NASCAR stuff there. But uh, it, it's an interesting show at an interesting uh, place. A lot of good-looking uh, cars down in Hinsdale, uh, Illinois. Make sure you check that out. Uh, Dennis, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Kyle Busch. On his way to 200 wins in NASCAR. Talk coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. I'm Steve Zotke, and joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Dennis Michelson from D-Mike Media. What's happening in there? Oh, my goodness. We've been having so much fun. It's uh, it, it should be illegal. Uh, I got to go to a Michigan uh, Speedway Promoters meeting last week. I uh, saw Ron Drager from ARCA and 
a lot of folks from all over Michigan, including one of my favorite people in racing, Alan Brown, who is the author of uh, the the book, The History of America's Speedways, Past and Present, and also the founder of the National Speedway Directory. So great to catch up there. And on the uh, dmikemedia.com side, we've got some great interviews coming up, including we're going to be talking very soon to Eileen Roth, the daughter of Eddie Roth, who, of course, was the artist who created Ratfink. So always something fun to listen to. And we started our uh, Game Point Capital uh, Down on the Farm show uh, to cover grassroots racing uh, from all over the country. So that's a lot of fun, too. Alan Brown is one of those guys, if you think you're a race fan, just sit down with him with an hour and just <laughs> ask him how many racetracks he's been to and just kind of wax on about that because it's incredible, him and his wife, how much they travel and some of these racetracks you know, I, I, you know, people always tease me because if somebody mentions uh, they work or they live in somewhere and, in, in, you know, whether it's North Carolina, just named a state, I'll go, oh, I think there's a racetrack there. Well, Dennis, or I mean, Dennis Allen has not only gone to, gone to those, but he's also gone to those other ones that are really tucked in, you know, behind that in some faraway place that I never even heard of. So he is just the ultimate uh, one of the ultimate race chasers, uh, and definitely is is what I would consider in the in the race chaser Hall of Fame. So always good to chat with him. I was able to chat with him when he was in Milwaukee for the Harry Miller meet uh, in July. So just one of the neat guys in uh, in auto racing. Hey, I wanted to mention uh, condolences. Uh, we lost uh, one of the stock car legends of the Midwest uh, last week, a uh, Sal Tavella, who won a few races at the Milwaukee Mile in the 1970s was a stalwart in the USAC stock car uh, series. I also raced some NASCAR in the 60s uh, from uh, Chicago, passed away at 90 years old. You know, he had a good run, ran the sales, auto sales in Elmhurst for many years and was one of these guys. Uh, he drove a Ford, uh, several Fords early on, and he switched over to Mopar and ran a uh, Superbird in the early 70s um, in, in USAC and then uh, – Later bought a car from uh, Norm Nelson, one of his uh, Plymouth Roadrunners, and enjoyed some success with that, switching over to kit cars and later Dodge Magnums and you 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 name it, he pretty much drove it. So sad to see Sal uh, pass away. He was one of the uh, drivers I was able to bring in in 2008 at the Milwaukee Mile when we had a USAC ARCA reunion, and uh, Sal was one of the drivers we were able to bring in along with Terry Ryan and Ramos Stott. Uh, among others, uh, that weekend, a lot of fun, Bate Arnell and those guys. So, uh, condolences to, uh, Sal Tavella and his family. Uh, Dennis, do you have any, uh, re- remembrances of, uh, Sal? Uh, no, I'm familiar with the name. Um, but I never had a chance to just sit down and talk with him. Yeah. He was a neat, neat, neat guy. And, uh, um, long, long career. I mean, anybody who, who's pretty much started racing, he, I believe his one of his claim to fames is he won the last stock car race at Soldier Field, I believe, in wow. 1968. So, yes, they did race cars. Uh, they did have auto racing at Soldier Field in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. So, a yeah, lot of history even, there. Uh, he had, even had some specialty events into uh, the late 60s and early 70s because I saw a few events down there myself. And I'm, you know, 
not that old. So, well, we'll, uh, we're, we'll, we'll be talking more history in, in just a moment here, but before we get to uh, something I, I heard over the weekend that was pretty, pretty neat, and I'm going to share with our listeners, uh, let's talk about Kyle Bush real quick. Kyle, Kyle Bush, um, do we lose something if he wins today, gets his 200th win in an Xfinity race? <laughs> well, it, it would be fitting, actually, if he won uh, his 200 in the trucks or in the Xfinity uh, series, because that's where he's won the majority of his races. Now, this isn't a takeaway from Kyle Busch. This 200 wins in three touring series is amazing. But he's the first one to, to do that number because he's the only one running that many races, mm-hmm. quite frankly. That makes him a Superman. I'm glad to see it because that's good. That was at one point good for the sport. I'm kind of wondering now that if having him with the best equipment go down and beat up a bunch of these young drivers that NASCAR needs to build the name recognition of to sell tickets and get eyeballs on the racers when Kyle isn't racing, is this being good for the series anymore? Has it gotten to the point where he's beating up these guys with subcards regularity um, that it's not doing the series any good anymore? That's a possibility. Well, let's uh, run, take a rundown here, take a look here. He's at 199 uh, wins. He's got 53 in the truck series, 94 in the Xfinity series, and then in the cup series he's at 52 uh, very impressive that, you know, he does have 52, you know, cup wins. That's nothing to sneeze at. And, uh, the truck series with 53 Xfinity with 94, uh, he, he passed, uh, Mark Martin who used to get a little bit of, uh, uh, criticism in the, in the early nineties when, when he was doing it. But, um, I, I, I'm, you know, I, we, we've joked about it on the radio show and I've heard other people uh, say it to me if they turn on the TV on Saturday and there's an Xfinity race on and Kyle, and, uh, Kyle Busch is in it, they look elsewhere. Oh, I've I, I posted on social media before as they're coming to the green flag. Congratulations to, to Kyle Busch on his 198th <laughs> win today. It's, it's a foregone conclusion. If he's racing, you know, look at the percentages. And I know he's a great racer. There's no, no doubt about it. But he's clicking over the last few years at a at a winning percentage that has gone up. So when you look at a, I'm a big statistical nerd. Okay, if you look at a, a driver's career, once they establish themselves and once they're in their prime, they might spike a little bit on a given year when they have a really good year. But if you look over a 50, 60 race period of of anything that they're running their winning percentage stays pretty constant. It's a really weird thing. And then when you see the winning percentage start cropping way off, you know that driver's towards the end of their career and they're about to hang it up. In the case of Kyle Busch, his percentage win in the Xfinity and the Truck Series has gone up to the point where he's winning at like a 70% clip now if you look at his most recent line of work. The only time he's not winning is when he's when the car's breaking or he's in an accident. Um, what that tells me is that, first of all, he's got superior equipment. There's no doubt about it that in the truck series, those are the best trucks out there. And in the uh, the Xfinity series, it's him and Penske. Those are the only great cars that are out there on the track. You know, Junior Motorsports has good cars, but they're definitely a step below. Um, so beating up, weak competition, and then a lot of these guys are, you know, a lot of the young racers that are out there, 
you know, it's no secret that they're because of money. And they're, they didn't win their way up here like it was in the old days. You know, the difference between what he's doing now in, in the Xfinity series and what Mark Martin was doing in the Bush series is there were a lot of teams back in that day that didn't have to have a NASCAR uh, Cup team affiliation to be strong teams in the Bush series. Now there isn't a single team in Xfinity that's winning, that's won a race over the last five years that it doesn't have some sort of an affiliation with a cup-level team. That's where the difference is, and that's why the numbers don't really even matter anymore. And, you know, I heard a lot of folks say, well, Richard Petty's wins, a lot of them came during the week in small field. You know, he only had, uh, like, I guess it was like 10 races or 20 races where he won with fields of 20 or less cars, and there was only one win with a field as few as 12 cars. And people say, well, there were a lot of nobodies in those races. There may have been nobodies on the national scene back in the 60s and 70s, but they were great local and regional racers. Sure. It was just like the world of outlaws. When they come to town, man, every local racer wants a chance to beat up on them. And certain groups like the Pennsylvania Posse have been able to do it for years, despite not touring with the series. He had a lot of good talent that just weren't known outside of their region because they never came down to NASCAR. Why? They were making more money staying home working the roofing job back in the day than they could have if they went south. So, you know, 200 wins, you can't compare, but I'll tell you there's a number that I look at with Kyle Busch, and I say that if he gets there, he's the greatest driver of the modern era. That's 93 wins. That's the record that Jeff Gordon set that still stands today. When, if and when he gets to 93 cup wins or 94, he'll be the greatest driver of the modern era of cup. That's pretty great compliment i think he can get there yeah, so do i that's a good point uh we're talking with dennis michelson on the great midwest bank hotline uh we've been kind of being a little bit negative on nascar in that first segment uh, well with reason though with the qualifying fiasco in fontana but uh i want to talk about something that's good in nascar and and in and, and in nascar media for that matter uh i really enjoyed the the latest episode and that's uh it's a format that i really like and that's that's coffee with Kyle. Uh, that's Kyle oh with Kyle goodness. Petty, and uh, his <clears throat> the latest one he did was with Dale and Ned Jarrett. And I think if you're a NASCAR fan, it's it, it's a must read, and maybe kind of puts in perspective where when you listen to Dennis and I, and and we you know we at times we sound frustrated with with NASCAR, what's happening in NASCAR today, because uh, Dennis and I are yeah we're we're kind of a bit of a throwback I guess, and but listening to to not only Dale Jarrett, but Ned Jarrett, who's one of the most respected people, not only in NASCAR, but just racing in general. Uh, just uh, and had a relatively short uh, racing career, which he, he talks about, you know, how that happened and why it happened, and then how he moved into the media side and, and the promotion side of racing. Excellent. But the most chilling part is when he talks about. Um, when the sport lost Fireball Roberts in that tragic uh, uh, World 600 race in 1964, and uh, Dale Jarrett and Junior Johnson got together, crashed coming off a of turn two, and uh, Fireball Roberts, who was known for Fireball for uh, being a, high, a great uh, high school pitcher uh, from Daytona. Uh, that's where he got his uh, nickname because he was such a good uh, pitcher back in high school. Uh, got involved at the wreck, and, and he goes into detail 
of how they pulled him out of the car and everything, and it, it, it's, it's quite chilling. It, it's right up there when um, Johnny Rutherford talks about being involved with the, uh, the Sachs-McDonald accident. Uh, that happened the following week at Indianapolis. It's just it was a it was a time in auto racing, Dennis, when the speeds were 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 getting higher and they were making advances in in the cars on both sides, whether it's NASCAR or open open wheel. But the safety was not keeping up, was it? No, it wasn't. And, and see, this is the thing: it's like for everything that I might complain about in racing today, I don't complain that I'm not opening my national speed sport news. Uh, every week and reading about two or three guys being killed because literally mm-hmm. back in the 60s and 70s, that's what you could do. If you look back through the archives, and I, by the way, the folks over at speedsport.com about to release this uh, thing called The Vault, which will look at all of the great uh, stuff from the past. You'll you want to check that out over at speedsport.com when it comes online. But yeah, we're not, we're not burying three guys a, a week anymore. We're just, you know, maybe one or two a year. Um, that's the strides that, that racing, and I'm talking about all forms of racing. Mm-hmm. In NASCAR, of course, an even better safety record, um, you know, since they lost Dale and, and, you know, saw the light of making the changes you need to make. They have, a, have safer race cars at these speeds. So, yeah, it's it, that Ned Jarrett and, and Dale Jarrett piece. First of all, Ned Jarrett probably the, the nicest man that, I've ever met in motorsports other than Steve Zockey. Um, but he's just uh, such a gentleman and such a, a knowledge base of this sport, um, but just such a great ambassador. And, and DJ's the same way. Um, it's just, that, that is a fantastic feature. I caught that for the first time. Now I need to go back and catch uh, all the rest because I love Kyle Petty. Dennis, can we keep you over one more segment? Absolutely. I got, I, I, I'm, I, I'm I'm down one one call in here. Uh, somebody's is is gone AWOL in in Sebring, which is not unusual if you've ever been to Sebring in the twelve hour race. So, it's a, a pretty expensive place. It is, it is, and 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 something, and, and I've been there, and so the cell phone coverage isn't all is one hundred percent either. So actually, let's no. let's keep you over one more segment, and uh, we'll see if we can track down uh, our missing person. But uh, let's take a quick break here. When we come back. We'll be talking with Dennis or maybe somebody else. Who knows? We'll find out on the final inspection show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway. Make sure you check out greatlakesdragway.com for all your 2019 season pass and of course david hobbs honda 6100 north green bay road make sure check out all the latest at davidhobbs.com joining us on the great midwest bank hotline from sebring florida in a remote location sequestered in a in a rv it is from youtube david land welcome to the show sir the things i go through for you steve well, the things thank i go you. through for you thank you <laughs> So uh, you're you're in in Sebring, and uh, something tells me this is not your first time there, is it, or is it? It's the second time. Okay. I was here last year for the twelve hours, and uh, of course they're doing Super Sebring this year. Uh, there was the World Championship race last night, and now the twelve hours, the traditional race is going on right now. Um, one of the best values in sports, as far as I was concerned. So I kind of had to make my second trip here because it's just such an incredible event. 
with as many cars that are racing and 20 hours of competition. Really exciting. Yeah, I was very jealous because uh, about three-quarters of the, the people I'm having on today were down in Sebring yesterday. Uh, David Hobbs is coming on next, and he was down there signing copies of his book. And then also Eddie Lapine from Racing Nation, who will be on after David, he was down there. So it's like I felt like, Mitch, I'm going down to, <laughs> I'm going down to Sebring. I'll do the show from there. I should have, huh? Yeah, yeah. I was in the same room as Hobbo yesterday. I should have gone over there and said hi and like, hey, I call into the same show you do. Uh, but uh, yeah, just just didn't didn't end up getting around to it. I should, probably should have. Uh, I, and uh, for those who aren't aware, David uh, runs a YouTube channel uh, on YouTube, of course. And this week, very very interesting stuff, especially on the IndyCar side. Uh, and it's very interesting stuff regarding a possible third manufacturer. Can you tell listeners uh, what 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 you're thinking of? Uh, who could the possible uh, manufacturer be? Well, there's a hot rumor going around right now that IndyCar is very close to signing a third manufacturer, and that manufacturer is of German origin. Uh, my personal feelings on the matter is that it's BMW. Uh, they have lots of connections to Indy car racing. Uh, actually, right as we speak, there are BMWs on the track right now that are being heard of, as uh, he kind of proved recently or has been proving recently. He's uh, probably a star of the future for the series. And then, of course, uh, Andretti Autosport also has a BMW connection uh, with Formula E. So there's a lot of connections there. If it is indeed a German manufacturer, I happen to think that uh, BMW would be the most likely candidate given the current uh, state of things in motorsport. And uh, what I liked about your video is you walked through all the possibilities, even bringing up Seat and Skoda, which I thought was uh, very uh, enlightening. But it certainly leads to BMW. I mean, if you look at it objectively, it it, it certainly makes a lot of sense, and and, and the synergy is definitely there, as you mentioned, with with Rahal. And then if you have a connection with somebody as – I mean, what better way to get into IndyCar racing with an experienced team and then also affiliate yourself, not only, I, I guess it would be with with Graham Rahal if this happens, but also Curtin Herta, uh, uh, who looked very impressive uh, last week and got a top 10, but certainly if things would have rolled, it certain, he could have easily been, been uh, top five, couldn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's been very impressive. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him this week at Circuit of the Americas because of uh, how strong he was there in testing. You've got to imagine that some of that's going to carry over, and he may be one of the favorites to win that race. We'll just have to wait and see. And what 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 some of the some of the feedback you've been getting uh, regarding the season opener at St. Pete last week? Uh, you know, I, I think it was just a typical IndyCar race. It wasn't spectacular, but it also wasn't. Uh, wasn't terribly offensive either. Uh, Felix Rosenquist, uh, not really a shock, got a lot of attention for his performance, which I think was rightly deserved. Uh, he really showed that he belonged, and uh, even there were some quotes from Roger Penske mentioning him by name. So <laughs> start the rumor mill up on that one. <laughs> but, yeah, I think people were just happy happy to have IndyCar back, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have some more exciting races later on this season. Yeah, I, I actually made the bold move uh, last week by picking Felix 
to to actually win the race. I, I thought he definitely had a chance. It was looking very good, especially in the first uh, first quarter of the race. He ended up fourth. Uh, once again, no impressive run by Alexander Rossi and and James Hinchcliffe. You know. He, you look at uh, sixth place, but actually, I thought uh, I I think Hinchcliffe should be happy with the sixth place, shouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hinchcliffe is one of those guys that a lot of times he doesn't start too hot. He always it takes him a little while throughout the season to kind of get going. Uh, I would also mention along those lines that Scott Dixon actually scored pretty good points for once in the season opener. So look out, he's not playing from behind. <laughs> that that could be daunting for the rest of the field come championship time. And uh, two other drivers who got top tens and uh, looked impressive at various times during a race were was uh, Sant- uh, Santino uh, Ferrucci and Jack Harvey. Yeah, uh, Santino definitely uh, showed a lot of uh, a lot of patience because early on in the race he was running like nineteenth you know, in danger of going a lap down, and he stuck with it, and he got a top 10. I thought Jack Harvey's performance was particularly impressive as well. He really looked like he belonged for the first time in IndyCar racing. He was right up there. He was competitive the whole race, and he looked very good. Uh, It's a shame that that car's not full-time because I think, you know, he definitely looked like a driver who could – run in the top 10 in the championship if he was so he he were to compete the whole series you know i i'm 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 one of these geeks who always like likes the back markers and that it's not really fair calling them a back marker because they're 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 getting dipping their toe into the deep end and that's a uh ben hanley and dragon sport or dragon speed and i i just wish they would have had a couple more shots of the car but i guess when you finish uh was it 18th uh, that, that isn't going to happen is it no, and you know, I they were they were in the LMP1 class uh, this weekend, and I actually got to talk to Ben for a couple of minutes, and and I was made sure to tell him I'm like, you know, you didn't get enough recognition for what you guys pulled off because I think they only had like 200 miles of testing on the car before they hauled it to St. Pete. They only had eight practice laps. They managed, they got lucky in qualifying, no doubt about it, but they they rolled off 12. He kept it, uh, he kept it between the lines. He didn't hit the wall. He didn't blow up. He finished ahead of quite a few other drivers who maybe he shouldn't have in the race. You know, I thought they did a did a fabulous job for for a you know a one off team, uh, part time. You know, their first time with a with an Indy car and the first time he's been in an open wheel car in like ten years. So I you know all things considered, I thought Ben Hanley was one of the best stories of the weekend. You know, some people say when you go. We're talking with David Land from YouTube on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Some people when you say when you go to Sebring, it's like te- you know, it's like stepping in through a time machine. Proving that, I just got your texts uh, now that you sent probably about ten minutes ago. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. who uh, we're running up against a break here, David. We certainly appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, who's your pick for uh, Fontana this weekend in the Cup Series? Oh boy. The officiating crew. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think, uh, you know what, let's go with Brad. It seems like the Penske guys are almost unbeatable. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I think it's going to be Brad. All right, very good. David Land, we certainly appreciate you coming on the show. And when you see Hobble next time, make sure you say hi to him, all right? 
No problem. I can do that. All right. Thank you. That's David Land. Make sure you check out his uh, YouTube channel. David, it's L-A-N-D on YouTube. A lot of neat stuff covering all aspects of auto racing, whether it's NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, you name it. Uh, really entertaining stuff, enlightening stuff, too. So we certainly appreciate him coming on the show. We're going to take a quick break here, and we'll have a sports flash at the top of the hour. When we come back on the Final Inspection Show, we'll be talking Formula One with David Hobbs. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 